Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When I found out I was going to be a parent, I immediately felt a lot of anxiety and worry. So I went on to BetterHelp to try to look for a therapist to help me with that. My relationship with my family and with my boyfriend and with myself were suffering. I really needed help. I was ruminating a lot. Really getting those thoughts out to a therapist and getting feedback was just life-changing. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. that we're recording since we've gone bi-weekly yeah it's been a while i'm not gonna lie it's been pretty damn amazing <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm not gonna lie. having a bit of free time i'm so well rested yeah well i'm not today but well i mean you know well yeah you aren't but in general like i'm well rested like i have adequate time to do the things that i need to yeah. do with my life and there are other things you know i'm just saying like Within the context of this, we can now see the other things that exist outside yeah. of, you know, work, yeah, like work, and life, doing family, this. and doing this. It yeah. seemed like those were the only three things that <laughs> were, poss- were possible. That was really it. So this is nice. Before we get started, yeah, uh, I have to point out, yeah, that we started this podcast to kind of to discuss a variety of different things and grow closer as friends. Yeah, you know, although, I don't know what you're about to say. I'm sitting here looking at you like, we're are you nervous? You shouldn't be nervous, but... Oh, you uh, say shouldn't be nervous? Shouldn't be nervous, Oh, all right, cool. That said, this this podcast has actually seriously affected one of my other friendships. Um, (gasps) There's been significant fallout from the Kanye episode. With John. With John. I mean, you were privy to, like, a pretty... A little bit Pretty bad conversation that we had. I didn't think it was that bad. Maybe because I was was a spectator on a three-person group chat. Well, I mean, to clue in the audience, the fam... John, John brings up a point or has a point of contention with my presentation of the facts. Wait, 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 wait. You're jumping ahead. Let's explain who John is. Well, I mean, we talked about John. Our, my, my friend John is my best friend. Yeah, okay. See, thank I've you. I've known John. Yeah. I mean, I, we've said this before. No, but I mean, Everybody... like, not this episode. We have to catch people up. Right. John is Eric's best friend from growing up. And John lives here. Mm-hmm. And John... <laughs> Much to Eric's dismay, John and I have also become friends. Yeah. And have formed like like a really good I think foil for any of your confidence, aspirations, <laughs> goals, <laughs> self love. Self esteem. Self esteem. <laughs> um so That's John all around accurate. is like a great person and one of my closest allies. Yeah, well so going back to the to yes. last week's episode, you know, I stated the truth, which was that I introduced him to Kanye. And he very much disagrees with that, um, like or can't someone. admit it, can't accept it. So we've been we've been struggling with that. I have faith that we'll get through it, but I think it'll be okay. It's just interesting. It's almost like with with this podcast, like you open a door. What is it? When you open a door, a you window close closes. Close. Wait. No. When you open a window, a the door, door closes? closes. I don't know. <laughs> but you it understand what I meant? Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, so there's that. Um, you Are know, you guys gonna have a bra? 
A bra? No. No. Oh. I don't well, fight. Who gives a shit, though? <laughs> What's the point? But, you know, it's been like, we've been friends for like, what? John and I have been friends for like almost 16 years, if wow. not more. That's, so That's over half your life. Yeah. So, like, you know, we scrap it now. Wow. Over Kanye. Damn Over it, Kanye. Kanye. Look, look, look what you do. I know. To my life. He's so divisive. Ugh. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well. Anyway. I'm sorry. It's just something to think about. Wait, do you want to like openly apologize to him or at least like, maybe call it truce? Oh, no. I didn't, I'm not going to apologize. I didn't do anything wrong. Okay. Oh, I just um, figured that you, you're giving all this public lead up. No, I mean, I've, I've told the truth. Some people can't handle that. But, um, so it's just sad. I'm, I'm disappointed that that's what, uh, that's what this has come to that you know i say i speak facts facts come out of my mouth uh accurate timeline is presented okay and someone else can't handle that okay oh well you know what though actually now that i mentioned that you mentioned this i actually have two updates i need to provide oh please, please. first of all just to give you guys an fyi <laughs> last episode i said i had torn meniscus well i went to a physical therapist physical therapist told me that I don't have a torn meniscus, but that my legs are two different lengths, which has caused the left side of my body to break down. So I will say this. There's some of you guys out here playing basketball, running, doing whatever. If you like to stay active, that's good. But you might be thinking that you're like seriously injured and then you go to a physical therapist and they tell you that your left knee joints are loose and you have a patellar tilt and your legs are different lengths and your arches have fallen. And honestly, I've been going for like a week and this shit has changed my fucking life. So, um, in other washed news, um, I spoke with my older sister who has a real job. She's not just some asshole with the podcast. She's out here actually fighting for the people. Very true. Yeah, very true. She corrected me. She listened to the Empire episode. She told me that I need to let everyone know that she actually does not watch Blue Bloods anymore. And she stopped oh. watching Blue Bloods ever since Mike Brown. She said she couldn't do it anymore. That's deep. Right. That's why she was like, you need to let people know. I was like, all right, all right, all right. She's my older sister. So just like, you know, she's one of the real people. I'm not going to say her full government name or what her job is. Yeah. Um, but it's a hell of a lot more important than what the fuck I do here. Yeah. Shouts so, yeah. out. Shouts, Shouts out. out. She's holding it down. So she just, you know, she told me she wanted me to let y'all know what the deal was. And, you know, so just clear her name. I mean, her not watching that is one of the few positive things that have come. <laughs> come from that, this that national situation true. we have yeah, going Yeah, is that, you know, maybe some people are, you know, are falling back on some of the, the police cop shows. So, yeah. you know, anyway. Today we're talking, today we're talking. That's fun. It's just a, way, a funny way to say that. Anyway, um, so today. <laughs> <laughs> what is, what, are, what am I doing? With yeah, my it's tough. But just anyway. to let you guys know, uh, Eric's getting ready for his wedding. Yeah. This coming week? I guess it's next weekend. Yeah. Yeah, it's less than a week now. Like, so, when this comes out, the next day, I'll be getting hitched. Yeah, it's so crazy. I'm really, 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 yeah. really, really, really excited. And I'm taking a vacation day, so I'm, like, extra excited. Um, so, Eric is, we're whole, he's keeping it together right I'm, now. I'm on the struggle train. He's on the. And it's, it is moving fast. It's moving fast. But it's good, though, because we got, we got a good episode for you guys today. So, yes. today, we're going to talk about. Privilege. Privilege, which is everyone's favorite slash least favorite slash absolutely most hated word i think of words i think that privilege is the problematic fave yeah. of the english language yeah and um we're going to talk about it today uh specifically as it pertains to how it is taught and engaged by young people 
specifically teenagers, everyone's favorite age group. Basically, some recent research, I actually want to say that it was um, people were examining or re-examining some research that came out five years ago, basically saying that millennials, because of their, you know, lax, colorblind attitudes toward race, which is my favorite kind, yeah. uh, millennials were like the least racist, most accepting, most tolerant generation. Anyway, I think people have started re-examining those things. People have re-examined this data um, from 2010 and found that, to the contrary, it's not that millennials are less racist, actually, than, than you know older generations. They're actually, white millennials specifically, just as racist as their parents. Surprise. Surprise. <laughs> surprise. This is like post-SAE, yeah. so like fucking super surprise. Um, millennials are just as racist as their parents and like forebears. But also, they additionally have this blindly optimistic, colorblind mentality. So they like, not only do they not see race, they also don't see racism. Mm. Yes. Well, you know, Kanye doesn't see it either. I know. You know what, though? He's like, you know, they're, maybe they're on a different plane. Maybe they're on a higher plane than us and Tony. <laughs> I really don't fucking know. But wherever they are, I'm not really sure I want to be there. So we have kind of an interesting little dynamic going on where you have these people who feel like they're super liberal and super accepting, but they don't believe in racism. They're perpetuating yeah. racism, and they also don't see race. We're going to talk a little bit today about how that happens. Yeah. Specifically, one reason that we're going to examine today is our shitty education system. Mm. Uh-oh. You're rubbing your yeah. palms together. I mean, I love, I love talking. Anything about education, I'm actually a huge fan of. You know it. Uh, so I'm always excited to dissect how we so poorly equip our future with the terrible education that we provide to them on a daily basis. Yes, day-to-day basis. Yeah. Yes. So let's dig into this, man. Let's dig into this. All right. So it was only a thought by white people that white millennials were less racist. Oh, like, can we yes. just point that out? <laughs> like, can we just, can, before we dig into all the other stuff. Only right, white like, people subscribe like, to this belief. Nobody else thought that. No. I, that is actually, that is completely valid and totally true. I didn't think that it was true. Not at all. Like, and when you, like, when I read that, you didn't, I was gonna say when you said that, but when I read that originally, I was like, I was like, why, like, why, why are you wasting words on this? <laughs> But then it occurred to me that, like, they, this was an actual thought. Like, this was something that somebody was like, really? Yeah. I'm, I'm shocked. Yeah. So, anyway, sorry. Anyway, you're Not right. Not to derail. That came as a surprise to um, only, only white people, I think. I mean, you brought up kind of a good point to me, you know, in our, in our discussions outside of this on mm-hmm. this, is that uh, in terms of the reasoning going into why white millennials are still just as racist as their as their parents or you know those things have stayed constant constant yeah i think is maybe a better way to say that but social studies social studies history where that's one of the areas in which we learn about privilege and about color yeah about color race systems inequalities <laughs> structures things like that yeah but i mean you point out like the the poor nature of that mm. A lot of time leads to the situation that we're in. <laughs> the situation that we're in now. Well, like just to even expand upon the situation that we're in now, I'm not even necessarily, and I think you'd be in agreement with this, just talking about racial microaggressions or people asking me stupid fucking shit about my hair 
or what it is that I eat or why I talk a certain way that I do or what, whether my cousins are named X, Y, or Z. It's not so much racial microaggressions. And it's not even so much like, like in, you know, an SAE situation mm-hmm. where you have, um, <laughs> sorry, a bunch of, you know, drunk white frat guys, you know, chanting about hanging niggers from trees mm. on, um, on a school bus. I'm more so talking about, for me, the really strange reaction that I felt from white people my age, post Trayvon, specifically post Mike Brown, post Eric Garner, where it seemed that even though they could see that, like they were at the same, you know, kind of ground level, we're all a little bit younger, a little bit, I'd say in general, still young people are probably more open-minded than their elders in general. Yeah. But... For younger white people to be so liberal on so many other points, but still need that proof, just as much proof as their parents, Mm -hmm. that Mike Brown didn't deserve to die, them still needing those things and not really being able to see how their privilege might have clouded their judgment in that situation, that sort of is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about younger white people being, I guess, having some of the same mindsets as their parents. So not so much like the day-to-day small interactions, but like their reactions to larger events like that because you can then you can kind of see the quote-unquote true colors i would rather Mm. someone have the right instincts and see what's actually happening and like a like i said eric garner or mike brown situation than have them understand exactly what it is that i put in my hair because that says more to me about like your understanding of things happening around you as a human being no totally there's definitely a more like macro view yeah of of kind of what goes into those dynamics yeah so basically i know that i grew up around mostly white people and black history month as you know just passed mm. sadly <laughs> again shout out shout out to all my real africans out there <laughs> malcolm x didn't get shot for you to walk around looking like, looking a, like a chump exactly just to review the themes of this year uh but black history month just passed and it was served as a wonderful reminder of the shitty 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 fucking horrible black history or even just non-revisionist american history lessons that i got (laughs) throughout my schooling and i think about that i think about how where you know me growing up around mostly white people and the things that i was taught and you know i can only imagine i'm and i was still quote unquote in a like liberal um northern community Mm -hmm. so i can only imagine what it's like in a state like arizona or like a texas well or Oklahoma, where they're banning AP history. Exactly. Because it's not, because it doesn't focus on American exceptionalism. Which is hilarious because I took AP US history when I was in high school, and I'd say it focused pretty motherfucking well (laughs) on American exceptionalism. Um, I know so, 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 I know more about yeoman farmers, which like, Google it. If If it even feels relevant to you, fucking Google yeoman farmers. But I know way more about yeoman farmers and their connection to the Scarecrow character in The Wizard of Oz, okay, from like the Industrial Revolution of the early 1900s than I do about the Vietnam War, or up in, I'm talking about me in high school, Malcolm X, period. We never even talked about him in school. He didn't exist because he wasn't necessarily nonviolent. He was by any means necessary. Peeking out the blinds with, you know, with a gun, talking about how he didn't want white people just killing us openly. So growing up, white people took offense to that where I'm from. So I was only allowed to get very limited. Like one of my history teachers who actually I got along with really well, we were both Scorpios, was a Civil War reenactor from Georgia Mm. who liked to go deer hunting on the weekend. Actually from him, I learned how to skin a deer using a Jeep and a golf ball. 
and a bunch of rope. I'm not even gonna bite. Sometimes you find out I'm from Michigan, man. <laughs> which just curious, which side was he on? I mean, I, I had to ask. Okay. Had to ask. Like I said, he was a uh, he was a reenactor from Georgia. Okay, so that's what I thought. Yeah, we're gonna leave that at that. Um, so I know that I received a really really shitty education, so I'm not surprised at any of these things. But I don't know. You grew up in Memphis. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing. So I went to in Memphis. A lot of times people thought like there were only like a few, there were like a handful of good public schools. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know how, like, I don't know how true that is. Like our, our educational system is not ranked very high in terms of like the school district. So mm-hmm. I know that much. But in our particular school, I was in the, uh, so we had standard and honors. Standard. <laughs> they call them standard. I remember this. And which is fucked up. That's another, that's I, there could be a whole episode on yeah, that. Yeah, just about that. But um, interestingly enough, so I took honors classes. Uh-huh. You had to test in or if they identified any sort of promise yeah. or whatever G&T, that means. gift and talented. Yeah. Um, you were put into an honors track. And so in the honors track, it was like going to a white school. <laughs> because I'm not surprised. Yeah, because all of my, like everyone in my class well, not everyone, but like the large majority of people in my class were white. Mm-hmm. But it was weird because outside of that, the school itself was pretty, I would say it was pretty equal in terms of the distribution between um, between black people, white people, mm-hmm. you know, Latino. I think you've mentioned that before. That surprised me growing yeah. up like that. Yeah. And it's it's really weird because you, you almost have two separate situations, like what you experience with like in class and then kind of the social dynamics of the things happening outside class. Interesting. So, anyway, there's that. So, in my history class, I'm not sure what the standard history class was like. Like, I have no I have no concept of, you know, the differences between what they might have been learning versus what I was learning. Scary. Because it wasn't AP. So, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't as um, structured. Yeah, regulated. So, that was really interesting. But, yeah, I mean, we, we there was Black History Month, and that was the only time we talked about, like, See, I'm surprised. contributions from black people. Um, for the most part, not to say that you well, didn't you have somebody here. you sent me that video from your niece's, your niece's Black History Yo, Month lesson. But that, I mean, but that, interestingly enough, so my niece goes to a preschool, mm-hmm. but it's through her church. Oh, because I was like, they're, yo, their Black History Month shit was yo, lit. It was, it was, it lit. was real. I was so proud. I was like, I, I, was, I was misty. No, I, I was misty. Yeah, yeah. So I think their approach is a, a little different. You know, mm-hmm. then what people are getting on a day to day in the actual public school system. Ah, I see. So I remember like the chapter, like if you took stock of like how thick the chapter <laughs> on like contributions from you know black people or African Americans compared to everything else, it was it maybe felt like you know thirteen pages, and it was it was all the same like you know you only had Martin Luther King, you had you know passive mentions of Malcolm X. You had uh, Jackie Robinson, yeah. you know, George Washington Carver. Right. Like, it was only kind of your standard, Frederick Douglass, like your standard yeah, like Harry stock of, yeah, of black people. And there were there was no deep dive. You know, we might we maybe had to do an extra report or two. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was pretty it was pretty poor. And even even within that, like things like the like the GI Bill understanding like we, we learned about that in, in subsequent sections mm-hmm. but we never got the details that like, I didn't people know that weren't black, privy to I didn't know that until I was out of college yeah 
I didn't know that. Or even the majority of the New Deal. I didn't I, I didn't know that either. Nope. That uh, that we were pretty much excluded from them. Yeah, well, because the only people that they would concentrate on when they talked about the New Deal as far as black people were like, Ralph Ellison, Zora Neale Hurston. Yeah. It's like, yeah, y'all let them in the, you know, what is that, the Federal Writers Project and mm-hmm. the Works Progress Administration or whatever. But like, average people who couldn't just like drop whatever they were doing and go down south and interview folks, not to belittle their work at all, but it's a little different than your regular folks access to new deal like benefits yeah but but yeah so i mean it was really it was tough and I, honestly i remember bringing up I, i'm trying to remember i'm not going to name check my history teacher but i would, um, i got see i got my minority voices teacher from my high school i'm not gonna i'm not gonna name check him but i if i would if i could and i would tell you something right now i would gladly arm wrestle that man to death. I was going to take him to a slap fight. But I was like, you know what, we're not going to be violent today. We're just going to be chill. I'm not going to be, I would gladly, I would arm wrestle him and I would shove him and I would wow. pinch his arm. You, you're, you're, you look really aggressive. Right I now. am angry. That's but go ahead. Stuff. See, you just brought back high school teachers and I just shuddered. I'm but sorry. Go ahead. Uh, but, but yeah, so I mean, my, my history teacher, she was really well loved like within the school. Mm-hmm. And I was, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a big history buff. Like, I actually really like history. I really like kind of dynamics of different things. Mm-hmm. And I was real intense on like doing whack shit, like reading the encyclopedias and shit like that. So every time, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's how we got here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So every time, you know, we, we took a deep dive on specific things, I wanted to talk about it. And, you know, that really wasn't, she wasn't receptive to that at yeah. all. And I would even try to engage her sometimes after class and it was kind of rebuffed fucking nerd oh yeah i mean yeah. <laughs> surprise what is the name of the show i hate you but, uh, <laughs> but yeah so yeah it, it was tough it was really difficult in terms of getting a more comprehensive view or or a view of our of our nation's history that spoke to the realities of of my experience or not necessarily my experience but the you know my ancestors experience mm-hmm. the, the contributions that came from people like me and that was really disappointing. It was one of those things that I just kind of had to, like, honestly, I was really hyped to go to Howard because mm-hmm. I knew, like, once I hit, like, junior year, I had my I don't believe anything a white person says to me face. <laughs> and, <laughs> I mean, yeah. we all have it, right? Like, yeah. And so, you know, I went, like, hardline militant, like, I don't want to talk to you. And I was like, I need I need people like me to educate me to re-educate me on <laughs> what actually happened. The miseducation exactly. of Eric Jeremy Eddings, right? <laughs> so yeah, so you know, once the prospect of Howard like got on the table, I was real hyped to like go and and I literally thought every I mean every African American history or Black history was a part of many different classes. Oh, it was like any cu- yeah. any curriculum they could fit. They were like, you're a biology. You know, this black scientist, like they fit it in yeah. every single curriculum. And I, and I could see that. And I was like, yo, I'm going to love this shit. Like, this is where I need to go. Yeah. So yeah, that was kind of my experience. And it's, there's not even really, like that's not even something that people are focused on. Like mm-hmm. in terms of the, like the, the school system in Memphis has so many like ingrained issues in mm-hmm. terms of, and a lot of it actually also has to do with access in terms of race. Um, like they actually merged they were two school districts and so that just to give a real quick we're kind of diversion but yeah um so there are two school districts there's a county school district and there's a, a city school district mm-hmm. and they recently merged and the thinking behind that was because the the county school district which is like overwhelmingly white and mm-hmm. affluent got a disproportionate amount of resources <laughs> and the schools surprise, surprise. <laughs> were, were performing a lot better and so the city petitioned to annex and merge the two so 
you know, we oh, could get dang. some black folks in there. And surprise, surprise, the county very much rebelled against that. They did <laughs> not want that to happen. I like they used the term rebel. Brings me back to another time <laughs> in history. But yeah, Memphis has so many issues in terms of their school system that, you know, rethinking something like rethinking the approach to history in the classroom is like yeah it's like last on the list yeah see me growing up they had now things have changed especially like post-recession in the detroit area things have changed but when i was growing up like i mean and still like i'm from oakland county and like in by and large as far as counties go and as far as general areas like of course there there are poorer parts of the county but by and large People live high off the hog there. And mm-hmm. especially like in the fucking Clinton nineties. <laughs> yeah. Like in the early like two thousands when it just seemed like everybody like all teenagers had inappropriately like just ridiculously expensive clothes and shit yeah. like that. You know what I mean? Folks was winning for like a, a good like maybe like five or six year period. Yeah, right. So like I think back to some of like some of the things that I was allowed to have, like some of the things I felt like it was appropriate to wear as a teenager, and I'm just like who the f- did I think that like did I think my father was like Pablo Escobar like what the fuck was I worked at Panera Bread like what was I doing but yeah no people had like there was definitely enough money in the school district to be able to put together some decent like history or diversity education they struggled with it because the other thing is that I think I've mentioned this in a previous episode is that people thought that the area that I grew up in was diverse, which is chilling to me and terrifying yeah. on so many different levels. I think to them, because they felt like there were different types of white people. Mm-hmm. Surprise. Yeah. So they were just like, yeah, like, you know, an area, an area like Farmington Hills is so diverse. I just want to bring my children up here. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm sitting here going through like the blackest change of life, like every single year of my life from like two and a half up through 17. But there was a lot of, there was a lot of like cultural festivals or like things where like you'd be expected to like you know represent or practice you know like I think I remember doing a Kwanzaa presentation in wow. school. That's I mean that's good. No, I mean but like my mom like had to do it. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Like I would have to do it. <laughs> like it wasn't like and like my mom busted her ass the entire time that I was growing up, making sure that they had diversity and inclusion initiatives uh, at my schools and things like that. My mom was always kicking people's asses about shit like mm-hmm. that. If I had a teacher that talked to me the wrong way, oh, I remember one particular time when I was in the eighth grade, I came home in tears because I had a teacher that decided to lead a discussion about affirmative action. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to name my sister's name, but she was really involved in that at the time. So I was like, like at home, I was well-educated yeah. about what you what knew the deal. deal with that was. right? But these little, I just remember this one girl... Oh, Lord have mercy. If I could see her today, I'd probably slap her the fuck in the face. A lot lot of violence today. If you grew up like that around (laughs) these people, you'd be feeling the same way. This one girl in eighth grade, she brought up this conversation where she's like, you know, she said, my sister's best friend is Puerto Rican because she was obviously white. She's like, my sister's best friend is Puerto Rican. And, you know, my sister's always wanted to go to Dartmouth and she didn't get in and her friend got in. And her friend got in because she's not white. Oh, man. Right. And so that was basically like me being in a room full of 27 other white kids. Okay. Maybe they were like three Asian kids. Like 27 <laughs> other white kids and a couple of Asian kids who I think felt cro- caught in the crossfire. Yeah. And like my teacher, who's this white guy, having the worst conversation of all time. And it was like the first, it wasn't the first time that anybody, it was like nobody called me a nigger or anything like that. And it wasn't the first time that I had had like a really horrible racial interaction at school but it was the first time that it happened like class-wide where i was the only black kid there 
And it was the first time that a teacher kind of facilitated it. And I remember going home that day and crying. And I told my mother, because I've always been extra, that I felt like I was being swallowed up by a Confederate flag. <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's how I feel every day. Right. So when I was 13, I come home. Your 13-year-old comes home and tells you this as a parent, especially if you're my mama. Then it's yeah. like, my mom was like, it is fucking on. She has she stayed on people's asses the entire time that I was in school. Um, but they had enough money to kind of make shit different. They just, it wasn't a priority because it didn't feel safe to white people. But interestingly enough, what we're going to talk about a little bit about today is what's happening in New York. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, this is Jeff Lewis from Radio Andy. Live and uncensored, catch me talking with my friends about my latest obsessions, relationship issues, and bodily ailments. With that kind of drama that seems to follow me, you never know what's going to happen. You can listen to Jeff Lewis Live at home or anywhere you are. Download the SiriusXM app for over 425 channels of ad-free music, sports, entertainment, and more. Subscribe now and get three months free. Offer details apply. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Not everything in life is flexible, but at Capella University, your education can be. With our game-changing FlexPath learning format, you're empowered to fit education into your life without putting other priorities on hold. FlexPath lets you set your own deadlines and adjust them when needed. You can take courses at your own speed and move on to the next one when you're ready. Imagine how a flexible education can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. So New York, as you know, as I think everybody knows, we have an interesting public school system here. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people, almost regardless of, like, I guess, economic like situation are trying to or a lot of people tend to go to private or magnet high schools. So we've talked about our experiences with just really poor social studies and history yeah. education. They are taking a really intense approach at some of New York's like fanciest private schools that uh, was profiled recently in the New York Times by this woman named Kyle Spencer. What I read freaked me out. <laughs> um, some parts were cool, but what I read, a lot of what I read just freaked me out. Eric, do you want to share? Do you want to share some of your thoughts? Well, I tried to read this article like six times. <laughs> and six times I was like, eh, fuck this, man. Like, it was, it was interesting. <laughs> like, the... I appreciated what they were trying to do. What were they trying to give us some more? In terms of, so the article itself kind of detailed how these schools, like you, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. their approach to diversity and inclusion. Sorry, my, my eyebrows yeah. are like at my hairline. 
They felt like it needed to go beyond (laughs) just reaching out to, you know, the black or Latino kids. Like, and saying, hey, I want you to feel better here. Mm -hmm. Like, how can we make you feel better? They said, hey, we need to do more. Yeah. We need to have real conversations about what privilege is and how we're all affected by, well, now we're all, like. Yeah, y'all are. Y'all are. But, and how that affects us. And, you know, it talked about a variety of different schools' approaches to that. Some people, you know, hired uh, a diversity educator, which is interesting. I I didn't, like, you mentioned that that was something you guys approached. Like, you guys had a... We sometimes had people come in to school and stuff like that. That shit never fucking happened. We had too many white kids. And like the kids in, in this article, people were concerned that they wouldn't be exposed to any black people. So they would bring them out. They would bring them from outside. They would hire speakers and things like that to talk about. So... My first time really being introduced to this concept, honestly, was this article. Oh, really? In terms of in terms of public school, yeah. Oh, well, this like, article still did way more. These people did way more than what. I yeah, I mean, they're clearly doing the most. Just a side note: white people, if there's anything that y'all are good at, <laughs> it is y'all can be counted on to do too fucking much. See, for instance, oh Iggy Azalea, Miley Cyrus. Justin Bieber, Eminem. Like, what happened to the word bay? <laughs> fleek. Fleek. Fucking fleek. We lost y'all, fleek. Uh, if, probably by the time we are done recording this, lit is going to be yeah. fucking done. Well, lit, honestly, lit is kind of old, though. Lit, I like, well, I used to say lit Well, lit is like old slang for drunk to me. Like, yeah. everybody, yeah, I'm lit. Well, we but used like, to say things like things were lit. No, we used to say that back in high school. So, if lit made it this far, then uh, I think it'll be safe. It'll All right. Anyway, what I'm saying is y'all <laughs> tend to do too much. And I would think, I would think this would be an area mm-hmm. where you might be like, mm, I don't want to do that. <laughs> but y'all were like, no, going We're hard gonna... in the motherfucking paint. Run head first into a brick wall. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they've hired diversity educators, which again, I mean, I, I, I understand what they're trying to do, but mm-hmm. you, it's clear that like, I think you, you mentioned like them being, like you mentioned growing up, the people there felt like they were different types of of white people. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I feel like I uh, that similar that. approach is felt here that it's like we're an elite institution. Mm-hmm. We have to challenge privilege the way an elite institution challenges privilege. <laughs> They're like a white talented tenth. Yeah. Like, and I was th- like, that's what I got over and over and over from this. And I'm thinking to myself, like, in high school, how the fuck am I gonna really process that? Like, well, we didn't even explain to y'all what's been happening. So, just to give you like an overview, there, like Dalton Friends Seminary, Brooklyn Friends, there's a few different super fancy private schools in New York that have, like you said, been bringing in diversity, like speakers and you know facilitators and things like that. They have also been really dissecting white privilege, if yeah. we're being specific. Really, really, really going in and dissecting white privilege. And like you said, they were like, you know what, we're just gonna go, we're gonna go beyond making like traditional diversity initiatives which is making young black and latino kids feel more welcome or more visible mm-hmm. which still i grew up with that shit and it still is a bunch of fucking bullshit and it sucks like it sucks so bad i don't even know what that like this like this whole i mean i was i was curious about this but i i don't know a lot of what that looks like because oh, i literally what? we got I, I you know i'm sorry i do want you to explain but we got bust like Literally, like I like I lived in my district, mm-hmm. but the the majority of the the black students like at our high school were mm-hmm. bust in, and that was like they were like diversity, 
<laughs> it's here. It's here. It's, it's done. Here. We're good. You got, you know, half and half. Let's move on to some other something yeah. else. So like I, like when they say like make black students feel more like included, I like I'm well, curious as to what that translates see, to on this level. There were so there was there it sounds to me like there were enough black students that they felt like they didn't need to do that. It was really lonely growing up and really isolating and really creepy and so weird growing up around very few people that looked like me and being taught by, I think I had an assistant principal when I was in high school who was black. I had one teacher for one semester that was black and then there was a black first grade teacher in my elementary school that wasn't my teacher. And those are the only black administrators that I had seen. So I only had one of them as a teacher the entire time I was growing up and there were very few, and like I was in like honors and AP classes so like they weren't gonna let any black kids into that shit. Um, and if they let him in, yeah. you act up for two seconds, they'll take you right the fuck out. So my minority voices teacher was this young white guy. He's from Gross Point, And he was like super fucking like, the best way I can describe it is he's classic Vice magazine. So I was being taught my, like, I was being taught about like black literature and shit by a white, like original fucking hipster. Like teachers <laughs> obviously took school photos. You know what I mean? When yeah. you're in high school. This guy's yearbook photo one year was a picture of him with a North Face with a fur hood up, pretending to be fake thuggish. And he had this shit print, blown up huge print out and put on his wall, okay? Wow. Right. And this was the motherfucker that was teaching me. Like, he taught me Richard Wright's black boy, okay? Right. Yeah. So, damn. One day we're in class and he starts like asking questions or whatever. He asked me specifically, like tried to comment my throat as to why I wasn't providing answers to this shit. And I was a little bitch when I was 17. <laughs> and I don't give a fuck because like Damn. it kept me, it was something that I had to do. And I just looked at him and I was like, I am a 17 year old black girl in 2005. What do you think I know about being a little black boy in the early 1900s? <laughs> this motherfucker was so terrified <laughs> like That's I regularly right. was going in on people like this at school um regularly going in on administrators and shit mm -hmm. like that which like explains a lot of my current personality but so it was there, like classes yeah there were classes oh no, no no wait I forgot there was one black woman teacher my younger sister had her I didn't have her there was one black woman teacher and she she taught the other section of minority voices mm -hmm. she was cool but yeah so they they would have classes like that but they were taught by white people that didn't know anything they would like bring in speakers, but the speakers would come in for like two seconds. You would have like a diversity day and like my mom would make sweet potato pie and then I'd give slices of the way to kids. And like we wouldn't talk about slavery, talk about like Martin Luther King for like one week every year, like till forever. Um, so yeah, because there were so few people, they tried to do these this fake bullshit where they would bring people in. Like they had a black student association when I was, I think I started, or I was a freshman in high school. Wow. By my sophomore year, they got rid of it because they felt like it was exclusionary. So, <laughs> right, so do you understand? <laughs> Do you get yeah. so, do you get some now? Yeah. So then, like, we could only ever have a multicultural students thing, possibly. But then they just got rid of all that shit by the time I was a sophomore. It sucked. Like, yeah. it just really, really sucks. So these things, like, doing, like, little... Like, we used to actually have a diversity conference now, I think, about when I was in high school. They would pick people who were, like, quote-unquote, like, seemed like they could handle discussions. So, like, white kids who weren't going to freak out. Yeah. Yeah, white kids who weren't going to freak out. Kids who were, like, LGBT mm -hmm. or just, like, seemed like they were moving in that direction. And then, like, pretty much any black child that was in school, period. And a lot of people who were in student government. So, like, even if you weren't, if you didn't have the grades or anything like that, they snatched you out of school, you go to diversity conference. It was the best because all day long you had a space where you could just be like, you could, I don't even 
even really know what I would say, but you just kind of like complain at people about how much you didn't like it and how racist people were. And then that was like it. So like sometimes, yeah, they would have like speakers and stuff like that come to do that. But again, they're only like pretty much only talking to like a few mature white kids and then like anybody else who's some type of minority. So like this whole like bringing in a professional to like throw wild ideas at you when you're a teenager thing, I'm kind of familiar with it. But these kids, like we never talked about white privilege. We didn't have anybody talking to us about identity cards and like who, like you know, Getting kids to figure out, Darnell Moore is one of the people who mm-hmm. was mentioned in the article, getting kids to figure out that like the the most powerful thing that you can be in society is, is a straight a white, man. white yeah. man, and like the least powerful position in society is a single black mother. Like, mm-hmm. we didn't do exercises like that when I was in high school. I mean, yeah, of course, we, we totally didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, jeez. But... I mean, it's just interesting. Sorry, I'm just like taking stock of everything that like that you just said because, like, like damn. So, I mean, it's interesting that that's that's the approach to inclusion with minorities and kind of going back to the article and how they talk about what they do with everyone to talk about white privilege. You know, they also talked about. And I thought this was interesting in terms of having white affinity groups <laughs> where. White students and white faculty can sit together and t- <laughs> We've lost pretty nice. But yeah, so like they, they sit together in a room and they talk about white privilege with each other. And <laughs> like I was like I mean your notes are amazing, which it says like this is terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm just like, where, like, where do you, where do you end up, you know? And like, yeah. as the like the teachers running that, like, yeah, like, do like, they get any special training? Right. Like, and I'm like, cause I'm like, the teachers are just grown up version, like being <laughs> truthful. Y'all think that none of these motherfuckers teaching at any of these elite institutions weren't sitting around talking about there'll never be a nigger in SAE 20 mm. years ago? Ooh. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying is. How do you figure that a person who's probably, like, there's a good chance that, I'm not saying that all people are like that, obviously, but there's a good chance that there's a a solid few of them at these schools. And do you think that these motherfuckers are equipped to sit around in a white affinity group talking about about what it means to be white and what it means to have white privilege with a bunch of privileged white kids? White kids who are certainly more privileged than the ones that I grew up with, who are certainly more privileged than, than like, most white people, most living humans. In all of the United States, period. So, like... With no one there. No one there to provide any sort of... Fact-checking. Yeah. No. Or guidance. Guidance, pushback, yeah. challenge. Like... Nothing. And their reasoning was like, well, you know, we want to have these white affinity groups where we just talk amongst ourselves because we don't want... To, we don't want our black and Latino and Asian community members to feel like we're relying on them for our <laughs> understanding of white privilege and racial understanding. It's just like, y'all. So so you don't need me. Right. So you just gonna figure this out yourself. You're just gonna figure it out because that's what you've done since forever. <laughs> you figured it out. Well, no, that's probably, honestly, if you think about it, Sounds like the same theory that's behind the United States Congress. Just like we don't want to, we don't want to rely on y'all. We don't want to rely on y'all. We'll like vote, give us your opinions. We we hear you. We yeah. heard you. Right. We're just gonna figure this out ourselves, like yeah. amongst ourselves, and then and, we're gonna come up with some solutions. And we're gonna come back. And we're gonna you know let you know how it goes. Right. The one, the name of one of these groups Ooh. was exploring whiteness. 
Like, whoa. <laughs> that was like exploring whiteness. Like the like I was reading the way the article is set up, right? So you're like reading it, you're getting like, okay, this is like what they're discussing white privilege in these in these elite circles. And like I'm getting it. I'm like, okay, all right, if y'all think this is what you should do, I'm following. And then, you know, the authors, I mean, the writer starts talking about um, the different tactics of the different, like, speakers and, and trainers and things like that. And they were interesting. I think a lot of the, like, I'm familiar with some of the work of some of the, um, like, the diversity counselors that they had. And they're really, really interesting, super educated, super amazing people who don't just, just do work within um, racial inequality. They mm. also do it with, you know, cis sexism, heteronormativity, you know, gender equality, things like that. They're, they They do really, really interesting work. But when you bring it to this really tight, these tight quarters, right, yeah. just full of whiteness and money, and then, and then you there's somehow the 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 ecosystem is right, yeah. right to create to have the type of environment where it's straight to just start a club at your school called exploring, exploring whiteness, and they're like you know. It's good because having whiteness as an identity, it doesn't leave it doesn't leave white kids out of, you know, racial it doesn't leave them out of these racial conversations. They don't feel left out because they don't have a racial identity. And I'm just like Okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> okay. Cool. So like I was reading it and then I saw the white affinity groups and I was like, mm. Like this already wasn't going great and this is taking a serious nosedive. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean I thought it was interesting one thing kind of the I don't know. I was going to say a flip side of that, but I don't even want to say that. I don't want to say a flip side Mm-mm. of exploring whiteness. But <laughs> they were talking about how a lot of the uh, the white students didn't weren't aware of many or any white people who had participated in like the in the civil rights movement, and so yeah. they said that they didn't feel like there were many examples yes of anti of white anti-racism yeah and i thought i thought that was interesting yeah and i can understand where there's a lot of value in highlighting those people Mm -hmm. and those types of examples Mm -hmm. but i'm also conflicted because you know you're at an elite white institution Uh where you're you know getting an education it's been crafted by leagues white people (laughs) elite white people and you know you're searching and making sure that you identify these white anti-racist um, civil rights leaders. Right. Is that at the exp- well? Not is that it's at the expense yeah. more often than not Certainly. of highlighting the contributions of pe- of black people who actually guided right that movement. And it drives me crazy because how f- how fucking how fucking entitled of you to think that your children need examples of white people who weren't acting a fucking fool just so that they can do their asses the right thing. Like, how fucking entitled is it that your children need to know about white activists so that they can then feel empowered to not be dicks? Do you know what I mean? Like, we gotta come out of our ass with special lesson plans for y'all kids because... Honestly, let's be real though. I feel like this is a guilt thing. Like, oh, absolutely. This is, you know, that like that part. I thought honestly was mostly a guilt thing, and even even within, I don't know if it was this. Honestly, I don't know if it was the beginning of this article. I read another article mm-hmm. where basically white students were were they didn't want to talk about privilege because they didn't want to be identified as privileged. Yes, because and, being privileged is bad. Yeah, and they know that much. And mm-hmm. like, 
Which, I mean, is understandable. This is the mind of a, you know, a high schooler. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean you don't, like, the, the guilt aspect of it, this is just helping them feel better about this entire situation. Exactly. And look, <laughs> sure, I don't want you to have a bad day. <laughs> yeah. But at the end of the day, shit is hard. Shit is fucked up. People die. Yeah. People well, get beat. And- not only that, I, I got called a nigger for the first time when I was five years old on my soccer team in the first fucking grade it was fall 1993 and this little white boy told me that he didn't like me being on his soccer team because his dad doesn't like niggers okay right and i had to go home and tell my mama that i remember feeling bad at five feeling like i had done something wrong for this person to say this to me i remember telling my mom and being like i remember feeling really sad oh my god now i'm gonna cry thinking about this i remember feeling really really sad and my mom i think asked me what was wrong and i didn't want to tell her because i felt like it was my fault and i had done something wrong and then i told her and i remember being surprised that she was not mad at me but she was mad at this little white boy whose name is joe and if i see him again i'll fuck him up i don't give a shit <laughs> i don't give a fuck yeah. i'll fuck him up and his daddy too fuck y'all <laughs> What I'm saying is, is that you feeling bad, this girl's like, I don't want to feel bad because my parents can afford things. Well, my parents can afford things too, okay? And I still got called a nigger when I was five years old. And I'm still mad about it now at 27 because somebody else still call my black ass a nigger probably this week. Yeah. If they don't shoot me dead. What I'm saying is this. That's what I had to deal with when I was 12 years younger than this little 17-year-old white girl, okay? Yeah. And not to come for you, because I don't like to come for minors like this, but it's a lot of people walking around like you who are fucking adults. So what I'm saying, ostensibly, young lady, and other people who are kind of in your boat, (laughs) maybe you're not responsible for the way that you think. Like you said, you're a teenager. That's normal. But to some of y'all who are 27 years old and looking at me like I'm fucking crazy, like because you feel bad about God the fuck knows what, I have literally been called some type of slur. Probably every single year of my life since 1993. That is 22 years. You feeling bad because you're white and your parents can afford shit does not mean a goddamn motherfucking thing to me. I actually would really like. I'm trying to think. I'm think. Interesting enough, you you mentioned getting called a slur, like every year. I would definitely say. That that's probably I got called boy yesterday. Excuse me? Yeah. Yesterday. Excuse me? Yeah. Yeah. Straight up. In the liquor store. What? Yeah, I mean, which is why I'm struggling today, now that yeah. y'all know. <laughs> but <laughs> But yeah, we're like, you know, we go into the liquor store. Hey, boys. Oh white man. Just sitting at the table. We like you know, oh, no shade. Oh. You know you look damn good, We were like, wait, wait. <laughs> wait. <laughs> did I need you? <laughs> I didn't he didn't really just do that no, shit. Yeah. Am I, am I losing my mind? Yeah. So, you know, obviously we sat there, we looked at the liquor, we looked at each other, we looked at the liquor, we looked at each other, and we were like, no, <laughs> gotta go. Went to it, walked to another store. Yeah. So what I'm saying is it's like that, The it's tough for me to like take any of this shit seriously because until you're going to get at that point, like yeah. until you're going to chat, like, because if they're old enough to talk about white privilege, like I'm not saying if they're 12, 13, 8, 10, which some, in the article, there were they some go schools that low. Yeah, who are trying to go that low and get kids to identify racially in their in their um, elementary school years, which I think is problematic enough as it is because you don't understand race when you're that young. And then what yeah. about kids who are, you know, multiracial or, you know, biracial or whatever? I think that's too, 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 too much. And it's before you start thinking critically about identity, I think, when you're like a teenager, adolescent, coming of age. But um, if you're 17, 
you're about to go to college, so it's time to get fucking real. Okay. Yeah. People are gonna start giving you drugs if they aren't already. <laughs> so what I'm let's, saying is, let's be honest. They right. So what I'm saying, yeah, right. So what I'm saying is, it's like you're you're old enough. You're old enough to be doing drugs. You're old enough to be talking about race in a real real motherfucking way. So these white affinity groups are not gonna allow for that type of challenge. Yeah. They're not gonna allow for someone to be like, hey, you know, on some on some I hate saying on some like fucking beyond scared straight. Like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, unless somebody was going to challenge that little girl and some beyond scared straight, I kind of am like, I get what y'all are trying to do. It's definitely on some level better than what I grew up with, which is like, what is race? We don't see race. But everyone here is very diverse because we have lots of different types of white people and your black ass. Like, definitely it's better than what I grew up with. But it's still, it provides a very, like, no, very little space for challenge and a very narrow idea of what, an acceptable way to engage white privilege. Oh God, like I, I hate this word so much, but it's, it's it, it it provides a very narrow framework to be able to explore privilege and race and class and systemic inequality. And there was actually a really good rebuttal. Um, Before you get to that, oh what? I didn't hear any of the last thirty seconds of what you Why? said because I'm still fucking dying over the mental picture. Of a diversity beyond scare straight. That would be <laughs> fucking amazing. Like, I would watch that. I would watch that on loop all day. I, I would teach it. <laughs> right. I used to coach high school sports, okay? Oh and I used to coach um, a team of, it was like mixed racially. Yeah. And every once in a while, man. I like I wouldn't get the kids so much that like their parents would have to call me because I'm like I'm not last thing I would do is have their parents call and be like what did you do like it's today, but I like they would say stuff and I'd be like That's how you feel about that I would just like do a little pushback and be like is that right oh really is that is that oh okay I'm thinking of the cool. extreme version there's one the scare straight video where they had the dude eat peel the peel the orange, peel the orange. it was like pick the cotton pick the cotton <laughs> like I'm um anyway I'm sorry I know I'm sorry. But yes, but it would be fucking amazing. No, I would love that. But yes, there was an amazing rebuttal in the Atlantic. Yeah, you uh, liked that. I remember. Yeah, I thought it was an I thought it was an amazing, well written article. It was by Connor Friedersdorf. Yes, because uh, I wasn't gonna pronounce that correctly cool. anyway. But uh, it, it talks kind of about the lim- Well, the the title is the limits of talking about privilege to teenagers, which. When I read the first paragraph, I was like, oh, yeah. So this is basically what I've been thinking the whole time. This is why I couldn't get through this article. Because it was the premise, a lot of the premises that it takes as kind of like fact and like the assumptions that it makes is like, we have to be doing this. It kind of justifies that to a lot. The the Times article justifies the existence of these programs Mm -hmm. uh, by the way it's written. And I'm just like thinking to myself the whole time, like, wait, is this like... Am I supposed to get this? Am I supposed to like? <laughs> Made you feel think old, this is, right? Yeah, I was like, am I supposed to think this is right? Like, this is what's needed? I don't know. But Maybe this... you need your new black goggles to be able to read the article correctly. <laughs> <laughs> like you get them in the mail, like when you get like a little secret code. With your membership card. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so like when when reading like the first paragraph, it's like, okay, I'm not the only one, and this is, I mean, this is. Typically, this is how being black feels mm-hmm. like on a on a daily basis. You're like, am I fucking crazy? Yeah, so shit happens. You just look around like, <laughs> like wait, no, it's not. Right. But then I read this. I read this article. And I was like, okay, okay, cool. Somebody else gets it. <laughs> we're 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 back on track here. But in this article, they basically, or he he basically talks about how <clears throat> this whole shit is a problem or problematic. 
you know, the like their approach and kind of the like like I said, the premises that they take to justify the need for these things is riddled with issues. Yes. And to, least. to sum it up, like I mean, we're gonna get into details, but like the 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 thing that I got quickly and that I was thinking is that experience yes. and exposure yes. is truly the only thing that's gonna provide the amount of context and empathy mm-hmm. for these white students to really understand the degree to which privilege affects people. Yes. Not a white offend not exploring whiteness. Not exploring white whiteness. Oh my god. It's actually the episode title, I'm just letting y'all know. <laughs> <laughs> episode title is Exploring Whiteness. Killed it. Yes. Okay. So yeah, like one of the things that they pointed out, which I thought was really, really, really great, measuring the level of quote unquote, they use the word sophistication in the article. Ugh, made me want to barf. Yeah, of the uh, diversity consultants and educators. And, you know, he rightly pointed out, he was like, you know what? He, I'm sure he has an exquisitely sophisticated understanding of how race works in America. Mm-hmm. But that's completely different mm-hmm. for teenagers. Yeah. And I thought, like, honestly, it reminded me a lot of Blackish. Mm. And, you know, the episode, uh, the. It, there was the Black History episode. There was another episode where basically they point out that like Junior is very cognizant mm-hmm. of racism, but it affects him in such a different way that he can't connect and express it in the same way as that Andre does. Yeah, as, as you know, Andre Senior does, and that's that's definitely like I think what they're touching on here, and this is a reality. Mm-hmm. You know, like kids, kids today are like they they interact in different ways. Mm-hmm. than we do they have different external factors kind of affecting them and, and pressing down on them yeah so they're like the way that they relate to these things the way they even make these connections are completely different so when you put someone in there who's been trained on it mm-hmm. and if they haven't been trained well i don't even know where you go to get trained on it as kids discuss it right yeah. now today yeah you know they're using a, a set of like tools mm-hmm. that are likely already extremely antiquated right and when you're and when you're dealing with teenagers like everything is already extremely antiquated. Yeah. if it's a couple years old it's already extremely antiquated to them yeah and i agree with that like i do think like i said i've looked at i've looked at the work of, of some of these dudes who were working in these schools and i get it like i think that they're doing an amazing job you know i think that they're very skilled but you're working with teenagers and while they're in, I guess, advocating for them having, like, more of an experiential learning model as far as, you know, engaging inequality and race and privilege, um, they're at an age where, yes, they're very impressionable, but they're also really resilient and very, like, they're going to be more open to accepting new ideas and to kind of, like, understanding and jumping into new frameworks frameworks and trying things out. Um, so I guess I was kind of, like, in the rebuttal I was concerned with what that looks like when he talks about like, oh, well, they should go up to, you know, the heights and watch yeah. people playing chess. And so I'm like, that still kind of felt like a little bit of cultural tourism. Yeah. But I was still more of an advocate of them experiencing like the city that's around them, the world that's around them, especially in like they specifically mentioned this in the article too. Like where I grew up, you'd be hard pressed just because of the way people live. Like there's no public transportation, like the, the city, yeah. suburb in the cities are uh, suburbs in the city are really separated. Like, there's, like, it's really segregated, and there's unspoken rules, right, for who can go where, when, and why. But in a place like New York, it's so much more fluid, even just because of the way that the boroughs are set up, 
um, just because of geography and just because of public transportation, you're yeah. going to mix with a lot more people who aren't necessarily like you on any given day than so many more young people in the rest of the country. So it's very interesting to me that these kids who are in New York, who already just by virtue of living here, have access to so much cultural education in all senses. It's interesting and very telling and unsurprising that they would resort to relying on um, a day of, what was it, a day of, not remembrance, not consciousness, day of concern, yeah. that a friend's, that friend's seminary would rely on having a day of concern. Um, sure, they the have more days, but concern. day of concern. concern. Like, oh, we're concerned. I don't have the luxury of feeling concerned about my fucking blackness. You know what I mean? I never have. I yeah. never have. Yeah. Well, 1992 I did. 1993 is when shit changed. But I never had the luxury of being of, of being merely concerned. This is something that I live with. And I think that when you when you make it seem like it's something that racial understanding, racial understanding is even a funny phrase. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that there's a better word for it. I don't have it. But when they make it seem like it's something that can just be administered in a classroom, it really belittles the experience of the other kids and devalues their identity, however they choose to express it. Yeah. But... I was I still was relieved to read the rebuttal, like you said, because I was sitting there looking at the New York Times article like, is this what we're doing now? Is this yeah. the, is this the world I'm gonna bring this my is, children this into? That's how this shit is going. I mean, I thought they had some some other really good points too. Like the thing, another one of the justifications that they uh, that these schools try to use for this, they want their their students to have a certain set of uh, mm. or a certain degree of social competency. Yes, and he was, you know, he rightly pointed out among whom. So you want, you know, these students who are, you know, largely white mm-hmm. um, and who who aren't being exposed to people of other cultures yeah. to have social competency. When, when they move on, they're not going to really step outside of that because they're likely going to go to an elite college institution. Yeah. Where they're, where they're around the exact same people. Yeah. You know, that even... Having that social competency, having that "quote unquote" awareness, mm-hmm. is basically they want them to have a point of different differentiation mm-hmm. between themselves and other types of white people, which yep. kind of goes back to that. Like, I don't know if it's guilt or like you said, the talented ten. Yeah, they're like the talented ten, the white people. They're yeah, like, we're gonna we're gonna sit in our ivory tower, breathe each other's air. Just sucking each other's hot fucking breath, talking about fucking white privilege all goddamn day long. And then what we're gonna do is gonna, you know, we're gonna release like a white paper about it, maybe put it on EBSCO host and let the rest, you know, and then maybe one day some journalists will stumble upon this red feature for Elle or Vogue or GQ or something like that. And a yeoman farmer, regular white man in the plains, you know, will be able to have access to some of this, you know, the, this rarefied air of thoughts. You know that we get to that we get to have around us all of the time. Like they're very much. I just got the. I just got in the mood to use the word ensconced. <laughs> Look at you. You know what I mean. I just. But I'm not going to. I just wanted to let you. You just wanted to. Throw it I just realized I was like, we don't have anything to say after that, so <laughs> we're not going to go down that road. But it's just. Sorry, you can't see my face. So I was sitting here just like the nerve of y'all to come up with an entire curriculum that not only a like a swage. Is the word assuage? Assuage, I think. Yeah, assuage is your guilt. But it also, like, makes it so that you have another cultural chip up on regular white people. Yeah. (laughs) Levels. What is wrong with you? levels to this shit. It's levels to this shit. It's like, y'all make it seem like being fluent in different types of caviar 
or knowing different places that people can summer or, you know, having a working knowledge of Sag Harbor or Narragansett or something yeah, like that. And it's just these like... These are examples they literally use. Right, that. exactly. And, like, this is, like... Like, you know, being able to talk about, you know, a Beverly Daniel Tatum book. Shout out Beverly Daniel Tatum. Go off, girl. I fuck with you. I love you. If you haven't, if you're an adult person and you've never read Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria, read it, especially if you work with kids of any age in any capacity. Read it. Beverly Daniel Tatum, also president of Spelman College, which is an HBCU. So go off, girl. But, like, they're acting like. It's the same. It's the same cultural capital. Being able to talk in a quote unquote sophisticated way, have the sophisticated you know understanding of race. Sophisticated understanding of race is still going to cause you to stick your hands right up under my fucking scalp the first time you see me, right? Yeah. But you'll be able to or talk to me yes. about what's that? Or say yes, or like fleek. Yeah, yeah, fleek, exactly. But like, you're still not going to be able to interact with me like a normal person. You'll be able to quote, you know. Patricia Hill Collins, maybe after you finished undergrad, but you're not going to be able to look at me and see a human being. You're going to look at me and be and see somebody who is just like this, like this mashup of assumptions that you have about who I am as a woman or who I am as a black person based upon you know some shit that you learned in embracing whiteness or in <laughs> exploring, exploring whiteness. Exploring. So I mean, one thing I was curious about, I was curious to get your opinion on this. Uh. And so they talked, and they kind of compared what we've been talking about uh, in terms of you know looking to cast yourself out or mark yourself as different. Mm-hmm. Um, he compared it to acknowledging privilege, and he talked about yeah, <laughs> okay. So so we're on the same yeah, page. <laughs> so in terms of acknowledging privilege, and you know he rightly talked about how it's kind of ridiculous the degree to the degree that acknowledging privilege has become like when you like if I'm white and if I say well I know that I'm really privileged and then I say some other like really random shit after oh you mean like just mention you know Kendrick Lamar's album coming out on March 23rd that's what white people do they'll be like well you know blah 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 because of you know white privilege but I love Jay Electronica like (laughs) it's always some shit like that but I have to use Shea Moisture too so I get it it's like okay girl but yeah, so you pointed out, like, you know, why not do something as a, like, do something that would, like, affect or start to attempt to talk about affecting, yeah you know, inequality as solutions. opposed to just, yeah. That was the word that he used in there, solutions. I was like, oh, I didn't even know that y'all had access to that level. <laughs> I thought this was just something we was working out down here. I didn't know y'all had it. You know how, like, when you play a video game, you have to get to, like, the boss level? Yeah. I'm, like, I'm thinking, like, Pokemon Red, like, Pokemon Red, like, a Game Boy. And I'm, like, how many how many levels Ash got to get to before he can access the solutions? What boss is that? That's the last one. Yeah. He would have caught them all. <laughs> it's true. It's no country for Charmanders up there. <laughs> they can't cut it. But, yeah, so, like, just, I mean, chill. Chill with that shit. Yeah. Chill with that shit. Like. And it's interesting. This honestly reminds me. This was a part of the reading. And, you know, this would take us in another direction. But it reminds me a lot of the. uh, I don't know if you read the essay. um, I don't know what to do about good white people. No. Oh, man. Oh, man. We'll put this in the reading notes. And I'll send you this after. But basically, you know, it was was a, a kind of a personal story. This guy was basically talking about. How it's frustrating to you know it's it's frustrating and it's kind of like tiring yeah to it's frustrating and it's tiring to 
to basically stand alongside white people in a lot of the context of these conversations. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you think about Mike Brown, you know, Tamir Rice, Eric Garner, you have a lot of, you know, white people who want to be allies and who want to participate. And a lot of it is like, yo, like I get what you're trying to do, but I just need some space. Like, because I can't, like, I can't, like, I, yeah, I can't do this all the time. I can't educate you on the best way to be my ally and deal with my feelings within the context of this, of of this situation. In addition to that, you know, a lot of times white people who are allies mm-hmm. have really kind of shitty ways of expressing that from uh, from a lack of, you know, context yeah. and privilege that yeah. affects, you know, yeah. their understanding of a lot of complex systems, yeah. you know, and cultures. So... I don't know. It just reminded me a lot of that, like when he kind of touched on that, and I thought it was great to hear someone white yeah. point that out. Connor Friedersdorf, in case you guys were wondering, not a black man. Yeah, but anyway, this was a honestly, it was great. It was a little long, touch long, Ooh. but it was really fucking good. Read. Yeah, I wish I wish honestly you had sent me this first. <laughs> you know, I think I, saw, I thought I sent them at the same time. I didn't. Mm-mm. Uh, I got. Well, they came obviously. They came out at different points in time. But, yeah, yeah. You you sent me this. You sent me the the Times article on GChat, and I, I, I sent no. I sent them one after the other. We can go back and look at the receipts later, but I sent you one after the other. That's okay, fine. whatever. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, no. I thought these were this was some great reading, and I think I think it's always interesting when people try to apply these things to children, you know, yeah. and how because you have to you have to filter it. Yeah. To a certain degree, you have to translate it. Like we said, like our like our tools, our knowledge is antiquated. You mm-hmm. know, we <clears throat> we have to figure out the best way to provide this to them in a way that they can understand and filter. I guess, for lack of another better word, yeah. back through their own set of circumstances and their own yeah. social situations. So I always think it's interesting how people take really really complicated mm-hmm. concepts, and even people who have a limited understanding of those limited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> complicated mm-hmm. concepts and translate and give that and give it to kids. Yeah, well, it's interesting to me too that I mean, granted, obviously within the context of this conversation, we're only talking about just one reason yeah. why millennials, one factor, you know, reason why millennials may have lagged in you know racial progress, racial progress. Mm-hmm. But it's sometimes I feel like going really hard in schools, especially in elite schools is like you say, like there's guilt involved, but also like I think it makes it so that parents and adults don't ever have to engage their lack of understanding. Yeah. So they can kind of like throw money at the situation and like throw money at the situation via their children. So like they don't ever actually have to engage or change or change any of this. And it kind of makes it seem like changing your mind or coming to a, a different, even coming to, um, a, a shift in your own racial identity or your or the way that you understand your own privilege. God, I'm so tired of using this word, Jesus, but, you know, you get it. Yeah. They make it seem like it's a young person's game. And I find that when I think about, like, I almost, like, even hate the concept of allyship because it's, like, I feel like people think it's, like, a status. Yeah, like, being totally. an ally is a status as opposed to, like, you do things to, like, just not be a dick. I even hate that it's, like, thought of as being a quote-unquote ally. I'm, like, no, I'm just like I'm a person. <laughs> like I'm yeah. a person. And like if you behave toward me and if your if your thoughts and beliefs in your own life reflect my personhood, I fuck with you. Yeah. Like I hate that we even have this language for ally or we act like only young people 
granted it is easier with young people because their mind like their mindsets are more primed to shift Mm -hmm. but it's just frustrating that these types of conversations are only really had in scholastic settings in super privileged settings and with people who are really really young granted like do i want to be present for any of these conversations as an adult no (laughs) i can't think of really any workplace where i'd want in our workplaces with all black people i can't think of any workplace where i'd really just be dying to do any sort of any sort of like privilege diversity inclusion workshop so like i could see how on in one sense why we don't have more formal conversations like that as like with grown-ups at work or something like that but it does feel kind of cheap i guess that mm-hmm. kids like that like you said we're taking this really complicated really complex thing that not even all black people can agree on right yeah how to how to properly engage it and we're like you said distilling it down to like baby food so that we can then give it to kids like i don't know but i guess i like i you can see in the notes that i intended to ask like how what is the right way to go about this and like i don't know i mean and we're not gonna know and i think yeah we're not gonna know i think you can only handle it like what what we can do yeah you know is what start holding people at gunpoint making this on a podcast that and create diversity scare straight Beyond scare straight. We should start a Kickstarter. We should start a Kickstarter and be like, y'all like listen to us? Wait till you see us on video. (laughs) Give us some money to make our diversity scared straight. Where should we start? Oh man, there's I want to go to Oklahoma University. I want to go to I'll go there. I'm ready. I think we should start at like a like a Dalton. Like I think what it is. Nah man, I don't see nah. I want to get these little twits that are like somewhere between 17 and 22. Them motherfuckers need me <laughs> like it'd be a cross between like major pain melissa harris perry and like malcolm x ready look at that light skin triumph it ready yeah i i definitely want to go no no i like, I like please let me engage yeah. with white frat boys you know what i would be respectful i wouldn't even go in there with no gas mask on no swat no swat get up nothing i'll go in there just jeans and t-shirt let them know i'm coming in peace and then I would tear their asses up. I don't even know how I would approach. Like, I feel like I, I would almost want to be like a Tasmanian devil just running. Like, you, you see me come in in a whirlwind. And I'm just <laughs> throwing, like, fucking autobiography of Malcolm X at your face. And, like, <laughs> all types of other shit. Mind you, these are things that we just want. Like, this is what we feel we have to do to get people just to understand that we're human beings. Yeah. Like that we don't, that we don't want to you know be lynched right like if I have to cur- like I feel like people are gonna be like these violent like we thought Brittany and Eric were so nice and now we're finding out they want to throw books at people's faces if it keeps the police from killing another unarmed black person so be it right I'll if, throw a book at somebody right that. I'll be that guy <laughs> like I'll be that guy I will I will if it takes me wearing you know what is that camouflage paint on like we were like, like dead press style like. Yo. <laughs> Don't bring up my movie. Don't bring Dead up my President's movie. This is my movie. I was just thinking about that movie yesterday, oh, wishing man. that I was watching it. But yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, whatever I got to do, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Whatever I got to do, if it's going to keep, you know, people alive and people respecting me and getting me, shit, if I could get to 77 cents to the white man's dollar, you know what I'm saying? If yeah. I could get some Patricia Arquette money, right? If it'll take, if it'll take me, you know, like I said, getting in my fatigues, doing some push-ups, getting my tank girl on 
getting, you know what I'm saying, in my set enough, get up, get me some straight backs or whatever the fuck. If I have to go into these institutions and shake it up, you know what I'm saying, pinch some people's arms, do a little shoving. I don't know, I can't really fight. So like whenever I talk about fighting somebody, it's always like that. It's not, it's nothing very deep. But if I got to do that to ensure like, you know, my humanity and, and shit. So be it. So be it. <laughs> well, anyway, thanks anyway, guys. Thank you. I got some, I, I got some, it was, it was interesting. Something, something you said, I don't want to extend this though. So yeah, I'm going to let, let people, I'm, let people wait, let them wait. Oh no. Okay. No, but I got an idea for, for something else off of what you said. What is it? Another episode. You, you talked about, you talked about allies and I think. Mm-hmm. There's a lot around that. Because I think allies are important. But I think it's interesting. You brought up a good point in terms of the language around allies. But I think I think ally is like a problematic but also useful word in yeah. terms of how it creates a bit of distance. What do you mean? Like, if you're an ally, you, you're clearly pointing out that you're not necessarily a part of oh, the yeah. situation. And I think that's helpful to not co-opt the situation. You are speaking in too many, like, pronouns. I don't know what you're saying. You're like... So in order to not, so in order, like if you're an ally, Mm -hmm. if I'm saying I'm an ally and I have a bit of distance in between myself and the group that I'm an ally to, then I can't co-opt Oh, you're lead. saying like I'm an ally, but I'm, so I'm I'm with y'all, but I'm not going to lead. I'm not going to be Yeah, I'm not, you know, this isn't my movement. You're saying this isn't, oh, I get what you're saying. It creates, I see. It creates, it creates some distance. distance. So you can't call off their movement. You yeah. can't just run in. And thing is, a lot of people ignore that shit, though. True. But that's why I think that would be an interesting thing to, that would be interesting to explore. Thing. We'll see. All right. We'll see about that. We'll see about that. But um, thank you for joining us again. If you want to listen to the show, which you already are doing, so I guess you already know how to find us. Yes. You can go to our website, recolornerds.com. You can also find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Tumblr. Yeah. Don't forget to review. Rain review, you guys. We, we really need the, the the reviews. Yeah, it helps people honestly be able to find us. So then you can actually have more of your friends to talk to us about. Someone actually tweeted us the other day and was like, I feel like late because I'm like, a, like I feel like I'm like the last of my friends to find out about your podcast. And I'm thinking like, I can assure you, you're not. <laughs> you're same, early to the party. Right. So I can assure you, you're not. But I was like, just find one of your friends who's later than you and then make fun of them. So if you guys would just like to find some of your friends who don't listen to us, you know, ridicule them. That's always fun. Kind of fun game. Like, what can I make fun of my friend for today? I love playing that with you. Um, if you want to, you know, play that with your friend by introducing them to us, we would appreciate that. And um, if you guys could, like, as a gang, rate, review, subscribe, listen, tell your mom, tell your coworkers. Just kidding, don't tell your coworkers. You get your black ass fired. Anyway, um, that's all for me. Oh, wait, I have one thing I want to say. Say it. Look. So, Eric is getting married. Yes. And, like, by the time this drops, It'll be like what the nineteenth. You're getting married like the day after that. Day after, and you got the reception the day after that. Mm-hmm. I just want you to know that I'm very proud of you and I'm very excited, and I feel very honored and lucky that I get to witness this new change in your life. Thank you. I feel bad because I was rushing you off. I know you're being a dick. I was. That's. <laughs> you guys can't see this, but I was like, "Yo, Brita, we got to wrap it up. This is a long episode." <laughs> and now I feel bad because I was, I really appreciate that, man. Well, thank, I, thank I, I just wanted to be on record so that the next time that you piss me off and I curse you off, you go back and you can be like, oh, you know what? Brittany did say something nice this I, year. I'm sure I'll consider that for all of like That'll probably seconds. be in like two days. So. <laughs> all right. Well, that's it. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you.
This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.